Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. Good morning. So, as you hopefully remember, in the months leading into Advent, we went off book a little bit, and I preached a series called uh, What's the Point? And they're actually available on our podcast. You can go back and listen to them if you haven't yet. Uh, In it, I spoke about the point of worship, like why we're here. We talked about how worship causes us to learn to live as God's people. We talked about how worship counteracts the false liturgies of consumerism and selfishness that we're daily confronted with in our culture. We talked about how worship forms us and reforms us. We talked about how the repetitive nature of worship grounds it inside of us. And we talked about how worship is grounded itself in God's story of creation, the incarnation of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and being tasked with mission. We also spoke about the centrality of communion, uh, along with the preaching of the word and Christian worship and the need for frequent reception. Uh, we also spoke about the centrality of the proclamation of the word, and, but not only are hearing it, but are, are doing it. I also spoke about how uh, we need to stop asking some questions like, why don't people do this? Why don't people do that? And start asking questions like, why should people do this? Or why should people do that? And then we talked about how this leads us into asking new questions like, who were we? Who are we now? And who are we Becoming. Where is God leading us as a community of faith? So it's kind of with all of those questions in mind, we kind of begin a, a new series today called Where Do We Grow From Here? And it's from that question that we come to t- today's text in, in 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 to 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, (coughs) Sorry. Then the Lord called out Samuel and said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lay down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. I kind of think that he probably was a little bit more gruff than that. Go to sleep. Leave me alone. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli perceived finally that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, lie down, and when he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. All right, so first, a little bit of background on this text of Scripture. So the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, they take place after the period of the judges, which we covered during the summertime. The time of the judges, like as we remember from our summer series, was a time of turmoil where the children of Israel were trapped in this cycle of what's it called? A vicious circle, a vicious cycle. I can never, I can never remember what it's called, but this, this cycle of, of, of 
sin, then enslavement, then repentance, and then deliverance, and then back into sin. And they just kept doing this cycle over and over and over and over and over again. So what happens is, the beginning of 1 Samuel opens with a story which kind of then begins to break that cycle, to lead God's people into a new era. So we start the story a couple chapters back with Samuel's mother, and we know that she can't have children and she's barren. And in the story, she prays to God at the tabernacle, and the priest Eli tells her, God's going to honor your request. And then she sings a song about it, which if you go back and read the Magnificat of Mary, there's some really cool parallels between the Magnificat of Mary in the Gospel of Luke and the song of uh, Samuel's mother Hannah in 1 Samuel. But you can do that in your own time. So then after he's weaned, she brings him to Eli to serve the Lord because she said, Lord, if you give me a son, he will be dedicated to you for your purposes. And so she comes and she brings him to Eli and he lived there with Eli and, uh, and, and he served the Lord there. And the Lord granted her more children. Eli, though, he has already some sons that are serving in the tabernacle already, but they're wicked. They are seducing women and they're offering bad sacrifices before the Lord. And it's said of them that they do not know the Lord. And Eli is told that they're going to be punished and that they're going to die because of their sin. And he rebukes them, but they don't, they don't listen to him. So it's into this, and I tell you all of that to kind of, so you get an idea, this is where Samuel kind of makes his entrance into the story of God's people. And so it's into this particular situation that Samuel has his first encounter with God. And it's interesting, it says, the word of the Lord was rare. And there's this interesting imagery, Eli's eyes have grown dim, the, the, the flame of the Lord, it says, had not yet gone out, so maybe it's kind of flickering, it's almost going out. So there's this really interesting imagery between God not speaking and Eli getting dim and the, and the light flickering. So when I read this text, it's obviously concerned with God's call to Samuel. And it's actually this call itself that we're going to reflect on today. I think that we can look at this call to Samuel and learn and see God's call in three areas, in three areas. So the first call that we're going to talk about today is the call to relationship. The call to relationship. So like I just said a minute ago, Eli's eyesight has grown dim, right? This is indicative of his waning literal and spiritual vision, according to a theologian named Birch. So it's not just that he's getting, it's not that he's just getting blind, Like literally, physically, he's not able to see people in front of him. His spiritual vision is also blurred. His spiritual vision is also is also gone. And so we're we use all of this to contrast the rareness of what's about to happen. But we see, though, in spite of Eli's waning vision and his inability to lead, God is still going to work. God is not done with with his people. So we see kind of Eli sleeping, it says, in his place. And then it says that Samuel, where is Samuel sleeping? He's sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant. So Eli's off somewhere else, and Samuel is sleeping by the Ark of God, right? He's not afraid that the angels are going to come out and melt his face off. He's secure, sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. And we have this... this Subtle contrast, I think, between Eli and Samuel. Samuel is sleeping close to God's presence. Eli, uh, Samuel is, is sleeping close to where he, know, 
where he knows where God is, and he wants to be there. And Eli is kind of off, off to the side. And we're told that the Lord calls out to Samuel. Samuel, and he ran to Eli. Here I am. And we read it happens three times. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then there's this back and forth, which is meant to be a little comedic. And then Eli finally, remember it says that his, his eyes were dim. It finally dawns on him. Okay. God is actually speaking to him. So he says, next time God comes and, and calls your name, wake up and say, here I am. Speak. I'm listening. And so Samuel, Samuel does. What's obvious about this back and forth? Right? It's, well, what's obvious is Samuel doesn't know the voice of God. It tells us that because the word is rare. And I call this the call to relationship because this is Samuel's first interaction with God. He's been in the tabernacle. He's served services. But now he has an encounter with God that will change him. He has a call from God that's given to him. So he moves from just being around God to being with God. This call to relationship. And so for us, brothers and sisters, the call to relationship is primarily the call to salvation, right? We cannot know God apart from God's own self-revelation in Jesus Christ. This call to relationship highlights primarily the call of the gospel that works in the hearts of sinful human beings that opens their heart to hear and to know God through Christ. The call to relationship, God calling, reaching out to those who are not his people saying, join me, join me. God reaching out to the lost, to the sinful and saying, come home. That's the primary call to relationship. But I also think, brothers and sisters, that the call to relationship isn't just the call to relationship to be made right with God. I think that that call to relationship is also the call to relationship with one another, with loving each other here at the church, or even something as loving our neighbors as ourselves. We always have this this call to relationship, not just with God, but with God's people and then those outside God's people. The second call I see here in this story is the call to mission. After God calls Samuel, God tasks Samuel. We don't have it in the reading, but I'll read it here. 1 Samuel 3.13, And I declared to him, I am about to punish his house forever, Eli, for the iniquity he knew, because his son were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Right. So after God calls Samuel to him, to relationship, he then calls him to a task. He calls him to a task. And it's a tough task. Because Eli, initially, he tries to correct his sons, but they don't listen, so he just kind of lets them go. And just yeah. and he basically, when you read the story, he kind of has a case sarah sarah attitude about the whole thing. Well, if they're bad, God's going to punish them. I tried. I tried. Couldn't do anything about it, so, oh well. But God gives Samuel a task. And this task, we didn't hear it in this reading, but as the story continues, God says, hey, your task is to tell Eli judgment is coming for his sons for what they've done. This idea of call and task. It's interesting that this text comes. I've just finished rereading the Chronicles of Narnia. Right? I've been reading those since I was a little kid. 
And I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. And it kind of goes in line with what we were talking. I was like, this goes with my sermon on Sunday. I'm going to write this down. So how many of you have read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? So in The Chronicles of Narnia, don't watch the movies, by the way. The movies are terrible, and they ruin, they ruin the Christian imagery of the books. Um, but in the books, Aslan, the lion, who's the Christ figure, right? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. He's killed on the stone table by the witch. And he comes back to life, and he frees the prisoners, and they go back, and they fight the queen, and they win. He's the Christ figure of, of, of the book. But what he does is he always calls people to Narnia from another world. And it's usually children. And he calls children, and what he does is they come to know him, but then as they know him, he gives them a job to do. And as they do the job, it's interesting that they get stronger they get more wiser. They learn how to love one another better. But he always gives them tasks. So in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're tasked to help bring down the White Witch, and they reign as kings and queens. In Prince Caspian, he tasks them with saving the prince and helping to establish his kingdom. Then in The Voyage of the Don Treader, he calls the children into Narnia again to help Prince Caspian sail to the end of the world to find his lost friends. And then in the silver chair, he tasks the kids with saving Caspian's son, Prince Rillian, from an evil witch. And then in the horse and his boy, he tasks these kids with stopping an invasion. And then in the magician's nephew, he, asks, he tasks the children with planting fruit to protect Narnia from the witch. And in the last battle, he calls them to help the Narnians stand up for the true Aslan and for some of them to suffer martyrdom for the truth. I say all that just to highlight this theme of call and task. Call and task. It's not, enough, it's not that God just calls us to be his people, but he also calls us to do something. So like these tasks in the Chronicles of Narnia, this is part and parcel of Christian service, and we see that in this story of Samuel. And the blessings of the relationship of salvation, of the word and of the table, they're not just for us, they're for everyone. We saw this in the gospel reading. Jesus calls the disciples under the tree and he says, follow me, and they do. And Jesus, brothers and sisters, gave us a task as Christians. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So our task, our mission, is to answer God's call to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world and to make new followers. It's not enough just to make converts. We are making disciples. We are making disciples. We're not just... I grew up in a religious movement which placed a premium on we got to get the people saved. we got to get them to raise their hand and to make that initial decision. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the discipleship is what we're called to do. Not just making somebody a convert, but making them a disciple, a true follower, somebody who then integrates what God has done for them in their life. That spiritual transformation that takes place is something that's then lived out through us. And our mission, our task, is to answer God's call to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world and to make new followers. 
And then the third call that I see here in the Samuel text is the call to renewed worship and vision. And this is tied in with the call to mission. So in 1 Samuel 3, 19-21, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So there's an important thing that we see here with this reading when we compare it with the first one. And this important point is that we see a transition, right? From the word of God being rare. It says the word of God was rare in those days. We have a transition from the word of God being rare, and it ends with what? The word of God coming forth again. That there's an established prophet now that God has clearly appointed, who God is clearly speaking to, who then now leads the people in renewed worship and vision. Like we said, it's this transition out of the time of Judges into a new, a new era. We see a transition from compromised religious leaders and compromised worship of Eli's wicked sons, and we end with clear leadership and with new spiritual vision. Houses swept. The stains had been washed away. The old had to die away and be let go of so the new can bloom. Theologian named Birch, he wrote, those who read this text need to see the link between the proclamation of endings and the provision for ongoing leadership that enables God's new beginnings. So the children of Israel, after Samuel is established, they have a renewed sense of identity as God's people. And this culminates then in, in their greatest kings, David and then Solomon, being called by God through who? Through Samuel. Through Samuel, worship here is renewed because Eli passes away, his sons are judged, and now Samuel is there. God is clearly speaking to him. God has clearly appointed him to lead God's people. And he restores true worship. He is faithful to the covenant. But one of the sad things about this story is that Samuel winds up many, 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 many years later making the same mistake with Eli, uh, making the same mistake with his own sons that Eli made with his sons. And so there's a lesson there. What, what's that saying? Uh, was it Santayana? Those who don't know the, the, don't know the history will doom to repeat it. I'm, I'm butchering that phrase, so forgive me. But that just popped into my head. But we see this, this transition. So that call to renewed worship and to renewed, renewed vision. So as we think about these three calls, the call to relationship, the call to mission, and the call to renewed worship and vision, that should make us start to think, brothers and sisters, about ourselves. We've had that call, most of us, probably all of us, have had that call, that initiation into the kingdom of God. But it's now also, what is the Lord telling us as a congregation, right? God, the word of the Lord is coming to us. So then we have to ask ourselves, God, we have to know that God is calling us. So discernment is needed. We need to start asking us, what is he calling us to do as a church? And like Samuel, all of our posture should be, here I am. Speak, for I'm hearing, for I'm listening. It shouldn't be our response to God's call. It shouldn't be, 
I'm not going to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. Or I'm not going to do anything that stretches my faith. Or I'm not going to do anything that stretches my obedience. Or I'm not going to do anything that stretches my generosity. Our posture should be, here I am. Like I think Isaiah, send me. Because God is always calling people in the Bible to do things that are uncomfortable. But that's okay. So God is calling us, I believe, brothers and sisters, to a season of renewed worship and vision. As we discern what that is and how it's going to play out, let us then, brothers and sisters, respond like Samuel. Listen for the voice of God. Follow the voice of God. Do what he's asking us to do. Follow him where he leads. And experience then a renewed sense of identity as God's people. And so, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who calls us to relationship, to mission, and to renewed worship, we all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy and good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionstoneucc.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, zionstoneucc. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to have you visit our church 